Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day. Busy show today covering a lot of topics. We're going to look ahead to the G20 meetings this week. Very important talks with the U.S. and China, U.S. and Japan. We're going to preview those talks with Floyd Gabler. He is the Director of Trade Policy and Biotechnology for the U.S. Grains Council. We'll also be looking at the challenges with the transportation system with all the flooding this year, roads, bridges, all kinds of challenges. We're going to talk with Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. Of course, a lot of challenges on the rivers, barge traffic backed up in places. We'll talk about that. And we're going to get a report from the field. We'll go to uh, Illinois today. David Erickson farms between the Quad Cities and Peoria. We'll get an update on how things look in that part of the state of Illinois. So all that coming up on today's program. But we know it was a rough weekend this past weekend for several parts of the country, and especially in wheat country. We're going to go to Kansas now, talk with Justin Gilpin. He's the CEO of the Kansas Wheat Growers. Justin, thank you for being with us. Bad weather at a bad time for a lot of your growers this past weekend. Well, you can sure sum up the whole year by saying that statement, couldn't you, Mike? It, it, yeah. it was a tough weekend with storms that that came through, which uh, unfortunately has, has been a theme for this year's crop and how we've been affected by rains and uh, uh, just abnormal weather. And but certainly this weekend we had uh, severe storms that came through that really impacted a crop that's just on the verge of being harvested. Can you break it down uh, in different parts of the state to what you're hearing? Well, certainly the central part of the state, you know, where we're at right now with uh, Oklahoma and Kansas, Oklahoma is about half half harvested. Uh, Kansas is waiting to get started. We're way behind where we would normally be just because we've had such wet weather. We had the wettest May we've had on record. Uh, then over the weekend, we, we had another five to six inches of rain in the central part of the state that waterlogged fields. And uh, even though the wheat is ripe, uh, that standing water and muddy conditions is going to keep combines from, from getting in the fields and get started in Kansas. But Probably what got the most headlines, Mike, this weekend was uh, the severe line of storms that, that began in, in uh, Colorado then moved across the state line on Saturday night. Uh, really, just uh, from the Oklahoma border up to the Nebraska border, just just came across Kansas and, and uh, had a pretty wide swath of, of hail that, that took place. And, and talking, talking to a lot of farmers uh, uh, just here yesterday, Trying to get a handle on how much, how many acres were impacted by that storm. Uh, you know, what was most disappointing about it is that was probably the best-looking crop uh, that we had we had had we had in the state for sure. But a lot of guys were actually thinking that this year's crop and yield potential may may rival what we had uh, record yields in 2016. There was 80 and 90 bushel wheat uh, out in uh, western Kansas that got hit by that hail. And, and trying to get a handle on exactly how many acres we think there's maybe uh, we may have lost seven or eight million bushels of uh, potential production uh, with those storms this weekend. Wow, just adding insult to injury. And as we said, the timing here, you were so close, uh, many of those farmers so close to harvest, looking at a pretty good crop, and, and to see it go down like that, uh, that just adds to the miseries of this year, doesn't it? does you know we've been describing this year's well winter wheat crop uh, when you talk about Oklahoma and Kansas the southern southern corridor here almost a tale of two crops you had that central corridor that had been impacted by so much water and all the flooding uh, that we we knew we lost some bushels and uh, certainly yield potential was deteriorated because of uh, the standing water and wheat being drowned out and, and uh, uh, combines not being able to get in the fields but out west, you actually had a crop that really had benefited from a lot of that moisture. You know, they were in areas that, uh, you know, the fields drain a little bit better, and, and uh, they typically are a more arid climate, but they had gotten, uh, you know, all benefited from that moisture, benefited from the cool weather, and the yield potential out there just looked fantastic. Uh, and just uh, the one farmer I was talking to yesterday said he was he had just gotten his combines ready. He was two days, he was one 
it out in test cut uh, probably uh, today. Uh, but uh, pretty much uh, all but one field on his 2,500-acre uh, farm uh, is, is, is going to all be zeroed out now uh, due to that hail. Wow. Justin Gilpin's with us, CEO of the Kansas Wheat Growers. Um, what about disease? Have you had uh, finding much disease out there? Well, you know, it's with all of the moisture and the cool weather that we've had, Mike, it's certainly been a year of everything. Um, you know, we're typically the winter wheat crop gets warm enough and it's dry enough that we don't deal with uh, uh, head scab uh, or for cerium that maybe uh, that the northern crop uh, tends to deal with on occasion. Uh, but certainly this year, because of the cool, wet weather that we had right at that critical time during flowering, uh, we saw we're seeing a higher incidence of head scab showing up that farmers are certainly going to be on the alert for. And, and because it was so wet, it was almost impossible to get in and, and get fungicides and, and, and spray spray those fields. So uh, probably this year we're going to see, uh, especially as we get into north-central Kansas uh, harvesting, uh, and then we get into Nebraska, we're going to see a higher incidence than that than we've seen probably in the, in the last decade. Um, now, what that means on the overall quality, uh, for sure uh, it's going to impact yield in that central part, but uh, uh, certainly farmers are going to be keeping an eye on what that means on, on overall quality. As far as all the rains that are happening on, um, uh, on, on the crop that's ripe and being ready to harvest, as you know, uh, that can de- that can deteriorate test weights a little bit, and so early on the crop that we were seeing harvested in Texas, Oklahoma, uh, you know, test weights were holding up pretty good. We weren't seeing any sprout damage, and so that was that was all good. But the rains that came over this last weekend, uh, I think everybody's anticipating to see uh, kind of a drop in overall test weights, and and some of those fields actually that have have pretty high uh, potential for sprout is where they're standing water. I don't think a lot of those fields are going to end up getting harvested. Uh, so I think we're going to we're probably going to lose a few acres. And certainly the weather is going to uh, probably lower lower our potential. And, and certainly out west of the crop that that what could have been is now going to be uh, going to be be hurt, be hurt by that. I was going to say it's probably now a matter of seeing what's what can be harvested, what will be harvested. A lot of those decisions going on now. Well, it is you know, and you think about. Uh, you know the, the cool wet weather we had, and how the, the crop out west had pretty high yield potential. You know the fields that uh, that that do have good drainage that did miss the hail. Uh, you know we are going to see. Uh, you saw in USDA's crop report yesterday as far as winter wheat overall winter wheat ratings. You know they're almost 30 percent higher good excellence uh, nationwide than they were last year, and so. The fields that uh, that are impacted by the by those problems, we are going to see some some high yields uh, bushels per acre for those farmers, and so that that that's the one silver lining that we're going to have. Uh, but still, when you think about uh, the planted acres this year in Kansas, oh, sorry, Mike. Yeah, what could have been right is what uh, I think a lot of uh, of your growers will be uh, talking about and thinking about right now. Justin, thanks for that assessment, the update. We'll check back with you a little bit more once you get more into harvest and uh, get some numbers from you. Thank you very much. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for all you do for agriculture. Justin Gilpin, CEO of the Kansas Wheat Growers, joining us here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Hi, I'm George Foreman. Do you have an idea for a new product or invention? People ask me all the time, George, how do I get my idea in front of companies? How do I get a patent? What do I do next? Do you have the same questions? I'll tell you like I'll tell them all. Call my friends at InventHelp. To get your free inventor's information, call 1-800-352-0432. That's 1-800-352-0432. I believe every inventor deserves the opportunity to step into the ring and take their best shot. Put InventHelp in your corner. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network.
recently on Adams on Agriculture. All right, let's talk trade issues with Dave Salmonson, Senior Director of Congressional Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation. Dave, let's look at USMCA. It's passed in Mexico. Where do we stand here in the U.S.? Well, here in the U.S., still working through the procedures, you might say. We had uh, the head of the USTR, Ambassador Lighthizer, testified this week before the Senate Finance Committee and the House Ways and Means Committee, uh, telling them the administration was ready to go, uh, wanted to work with them, make sure they could get the implementing bill in shape so they could send it up. You know, that hasn't been forwarded to the Congress yet. Uh, they want to work with the leadership to make sure it's, uh, it has everything in it that's necessary for passage, and they have to do that really before they can present it to the House and the Senate. So that process is ongoing. So you might say it's following its course. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. My mom's a breast cancer survivor. The United Breast Cancer Foundation saved her life. Their free breast cancer exam caught the cancer early, and it saved her life. But now the foundation needs your help so they can continue offering free or low-cost breast screening exams, saving more women's lives. Help them by donating your car, whether it's running or not. They'll provide fast, free 24-hour pickup, and you receive a charitable tax deduction, plus the great feeling you'll get knowing your donated car is going to help save more lives. Just call 800-745-3327 to set the wheels in motion. They take cars, trucks, vans, and SUVs, running or not. Call 800-745-3327. The United Breast Cancer Foundation needs your help, and your donation could literally save women's lives, helping them catch breast cancer early like they did with my mom. Donate today, 800-745-3327, 800-745-3327. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, it's kind of a trade doubleheader this week. Talks with both China and Japan at the G20 meetings. Let's talk about it with Floyd Gabler. He is the Director of Trade Policy and Biotechnology for the U.S. Grains Council. Floyd, thanks for joining us. Uh, What are you uh, focused on this week? What should we be watching for this week, you think? Well, thank you, uh, Mike, uh, for the opportunity to appear on your program. Uh, yeah, clearly uh, this week is, is going to be pivotal in terms of uh, trade policy. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, you know, while they'll be having the, the G20 meeting there that will cover a range of, of you know, economic and policy issues, so the, obviously the focus is going to be on the side meetings that President Trump has with uh, President uh, Xi of uh, China, but then also President Abe of Japan <clears throat> with regard to, uh, in the first case, uh, whether we can, uh, you know, come to some agreement and move forward on this uh, so-called trade war between China, and then what progress can be made on pursuing a FTA, a free trade agreement, <clears throat> with Japan. So let's start with with China. Uh, things, at least from what we pick up in you know in the in the media, haven't sounded real positive. Now we understand there have been some phone calls made ahead of the, this week's meetings and some discussion going on. Uh, what are you hearing and seeing that uh, we maybe could be a little optimistic about that? Maybe uh, these things will get going in a positive direction again. Yes. Well, you know, obviously this has been an up-and-down progress. There has not, there's been really a lull in the talks now for uh, six weeks uh, since early May. Um, they, uh, there has been some interchange uh, in between that time, and there have been contacts, lower-level contacts, uh, between the administration and their counterparts in China. Uh, you know, I think the, the, the hope here is is that, you know, we can go into this meeting uh, and at least uh, be able to, to yield a pause in any further action by the administration on increasing or adding, you know, tariffs uh, to remaining products, um, and that there can be a resumption of the talks 
uh, moving forward. Uh, you know, it's it's still uh, difficult to determine whether that will occur or not. I mean, part of part of the complication here is is that they're dealing with the whole range of issues. Some of them are very controversial and very difficult to deal with. Uh, for example, on the technology side, technology transfer, you know, theft of technology. Those are those are thorny issues. They're demanding China change its laws, its regulations. That's very difficult to do on a bilateral basis. Um, let me give you just you know a quick example. We've had issues the corn, wheat, and rice industry with China on their domestic support policies and their administration of of uh, <clears throat> tariff rate quotas for our products. We have tried to work on these issues on a bilateral basis through our government for years. We were not successful, so we finally provided the evidence and convinced the government that they needed to do go through the World Trade Organization dispute settlement mechanism. And so we did that. We won both cases. China agreed not to uh, appeal but to comply. Uh, <clears throat> and so we're moving forward on those. But if we would have not done that, and this would have been two other issues as part of this negotiation, uh, I don't think we would make the progress. And so, you know, I think part of the challenge here is trying to deal with some of these issues and uh, deal with them in a more broad, broad basis. In other words, things like technology and technology transfer are not just a U.S. bilateral issue with China. It's an issue with Australia, with Japan, with the European Union, etc. <clears throat> and I think it's, you know, that's what complicates this process because we're doing it on our own. We're talking with Floyd Gabler, Director of Trade Policy and Biotechnology for the U.S. Grains Council, looking ahead to this week's G20 meetings. Um, Floyd, there's so much anticipation anytime the two sides get together, whether it's U.S.-China or U.S.-Japan, in this case now both this week. Um, there's almost so much expectation that something's going to happen. Then you kind of set yourself up for a for a fall, for a for a disappointment. What are what are realistic expectations, or what should realistic expectations be for this week? Well, again, I think realistically, the the best case scenario is is that we will they will reach an agreement to you know reactivate these discussions that will lead to the administration holding off implementing uh, the remaining tariffs they have they have uh, you know threatened to do on the remaining 300 billion dollars of uh, ag uh, or I mean of uh, Chinese uh, uh, exports to the US <clears throat> and you know find you know at least have some common pathway to continue these talk to some logical end um, you know, I think it's a difficult challenge, I'm, but I am hopeful uh, that we're able to do it. There's a lot of benefit that will come out of this for agriculture. Uh, you know, there are provisions in place in these negotiations for purchase commitments of various commodities. For us, you know, ethanol, I think, is probably the most likely commodity to be purchased, uh, but there's opportunities for sorghum, uh, dried distilled grains, corn, etc., uh, you know this. You know the USTR, the U U.S. Trade Rep, and USDA has over 50 issues that are involving agriculture as part of this negotiation. We understand there's a 150-page document, uh, and of that, you know there are 15 annexes that are just devoted to agriculture. So there's a lot at, at stake here, and a lot of opportunity. <clears throat> if we can get this agreement uh, done, I mean, you know, I think everybody needs to to understand that, <clears throat> you know, China is too big of a market to ignore, uh, and it simply can't be replaced. So, you know, if, I, I remain hopeful. What about Japan? It feels like we're closer to getting something done with them, are we? Well, yes, I think uh, we are. Uh, you know, in that case. You know, both sides, and you know, announced a, a willingness to to negotiate a, a free trade agreement. Uh, of course, that was necessary because of our pullout of the Trans-Pacific Partnership. <clears throat> so the benefits that we accrued under TPP for acceleration of, and reduction of tariffs, particularly for beef, pork, and dairy, 
uh, were lost. So, you know, the, the obvious uh, effort here <clears throat> is is to try and, and resolve the, those particular issues. Both sides have agreed to kind of do this in a staged product process as opposed to, you know, negotiating a whole comprehensive deal, finalizing it at the end. So there's sort of an early harvest <clears throat> anticipated here where, the uh, <clears throat> there would be discussions on market access for industrial goods, uh, including agriculture, followed by non-tariff issues. Japan has, you know, again expressed a willingness to reduce those tariffs to the levels that that they had previously agreed to, uh, in exchange for removal of U.S. tariffs on industrial goods and things like autos, autos parts. So, <clears throat> I think. Uh, you know, they, there's a there's a sincere effort to try and and get something done early this fall uh, that would you know deal with the, with those sets of issues uh, and it, that would be critical for uh, U.S. agriculture to get on a level playing field with the uh, <clears throat> you know with the other uh, countries that have agreements with with Japan, particularly the European Union, Australia, New Zealand. Who are are really you know starting to eat away at the market share of those products? Um, there are some elections in Japan's upper house in late July, so you know that will foreclose any quick movement or closure. But it's possible, I think, that we could have something done by early fall. Finally, I would uh, I would also say that if we were able to get the U.S. Mexico Canada agreement uh, ratified. Uh, by or, you know, early, you know, either late this summer or at the latest early fall, I think that would add some momentum to that and give more confidence to the to the Japanese to to feel uh, comfortable moving forward with a FTA. Well, we'll see what happens. A lot on the line, that's for sure. Floyd, thanks for kind of previewing and kind of setting up what we should be watching for and what will come out. Hopefully, will come out of this week's meetings. Thank you very much. Okay. Well, thank you, Mike. Floyd Gabler, Director of Trade Policy and Biotechnology for the U.S. Grains Council. Well, as we all know, lots of challenges to crop production this year, but also challenges with transportation uh, with the rivers and the bridges and roads. We're going to talk about that with Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. That's next on AOA. Soybean growers are going all-in on Ingenia herbicide. Now BASF is going all-in on Ingenia growers. We're so confident in the performance of this solution, we're now backing it with the Ingenia herbicide weed control guarantee so you can have true peace of mind. And you can tap into our expanded Grow Smart Rewards program and get cash back. Go all-in today at IngeniaHerbicide.com. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. My mom's a breast cancer survivor. The United Breast Cancer Foundation saved her life. Their free breast cancer exam caught the cancer early, and it saved her life. But now the foundation needs your help so they can continue offering free or low-cost breast screening exams, saving more women's lives. Help them by donating your car, whether it's running or not. They'll provide fast, free 24-hour pickup, and you receive a charitable tax deduction, plus the great feeling you'll get knowing your donated car is going to help save more lives. Just call 800-745-3327 to set the wheels in motion. They take cars, trucks, vans, and SUVs running or not. Call 800-745-3327. The United Breast Cancer Foundation needs your help, and your donation could literally save women's lives, helping them catch breast cancer early like they did with my mom. Donate today, 800-745-3327, 800-745-3327. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Yesterday's crop conditions and progress numbers pushing grains higher in the overnight trade. With yesterday's report, roughly 13 million acres of soybeans and 4 million acres of corn have not yet been planted, according to private guesses. 
buyers emerging to support new crop November soybeans on Monday's intraday weakness to 9.24 and a half. December corn shrugging off intraday weakness and closing modestly firmer yesterday. Recent corn weakness has been corrective in nature. The 10-day moving average acting as support on the pullback at 4.40 and a quarter cent. An hour into Tuesday's trade, December corn up three at 4.60 and a quarter. Soybeans, November down three and a half at 9.29 and a quarter, giving back the early rally. Chicago wheat, July up three and a quarter at 5.41 and a quarter. Kansas City, July up five and a half at 4.71. Minneapolis spring wheat, September up six and a half at 5.59 and three quarters. For livestock at the Merck, lean hog futures in oversold territory, according to the wire talk. July hogs up a dollar forty-two at seventy-four twenty-five. Live cattle futures, August contract up twenty-five at one hundred two seventy. October up thirty-five at one hundred four thirty-seven. Cash cattle country has been quiet so far on the week, according to the wire talk. In feeder cattle, the August contract up 12 at 131.97. November feeder cattle up 35 at 133.32. On Wall Street, the Dow is down 99. S&P down 12. August crude oil up 18 cents. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it. Or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. Head to toe, everything's changed. Head to toe. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. The weather this year has caused all kinds of problems, including for transportation. We're going to talk about that now with Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. Mike, thanks for joining us. Uh, We've got a lot of things to talk about here. Let's start with the rivers and barge traffic. We know there have been delays. There have been problems there. Where do we stand now? Well, we have seen some resumption of service on segments of the inland waterway system, you know, Focusing first on the on the Mississippi River, we've had locks closed for an elongated period of time. Many of those have reopened, um, but kind of the thing to keep in mind is it's it's not like in car racing when you go to a you're under a yellow cautionary flag and then all of a sudden you go to green flag, you can be back to 200 miles an hour, you know, within half a lap. This is not you know when you just have the the river reopen, you're not able to go back to full throttle. So even though you have barge transportation that now is allowed, you know, you'll have restricted tow sizes. You have to go slower than you normally would. It might be restricted to daylight hours only. You have bridge clearance issues. So it, it still is a very cumbersome process, and it's not a, it's not a link in our logistics chain it's that by no means is operating at, at full capacity. Yeah, and you have so many different parts, and uh, you'll have something like a barge getting loose and hitting a bridge. I mean, it doesn't take much to really throw it off uh, off kilter, does it? Yeah, it, it's you know, the 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 river system. You know, when it when it gets when you get higher water, elevated water. So, like I said, you all of a sudden when you normally have a lot of clearance under a bridge, now all of a sudden you have very minimal amount. And so the margin of error is very, very small. When you have a more turbulent river, the prospect of, of steering a 1,200-foot-long 
barge flotilla becomes all the more challenging. And so the, 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 the potential for bridges, barges breaking off uh, from the shoreline or from the barge flotilla itself and then all of a sudden running into a bridge or another, uh, uh, the dam itself, uh, it really goes up. So it, it really is, is a challenge. It's just, you know, the, this is one of the modes of transportation that really is the secret, part of the secrets to our success, being able to move a lot of product long distances at a very economical price point. Now all of a sudden this, this mode is, is uh, not operating as it normally does, and it's just one more challenge confronting agriculture. And we often think of what moves down the river, but we need to remember a lot of product comes up the river too. And, and fertilizer was for agriculture is a really good example for of that. You know, we also have, uh, the, you know, the public really cares about things like salt for winter road application, aggregate that's used for, um, you know, construction. You know, a lot of products that move on the inland waterway system, not products that you actually see at the grocery store and actually put it in your shopping cart. These are these are inputs that allow so many of these ultimate consumer products to. Uh, to actually be realized. But for agriculture, yeah, the fertilizer shipments, um, usually a lot of northbound barred shipments of fertilizer occur during the months of April and May. That essentially did not occur. So ag retailers had to find alternative routes. And one of the things I try to impress on people is anytime you have a, when every time you have a shift from kind of the optimal, most economical mode of transportation to a less economical mode of transportation, there's a cost associated with that. And agriculture, as we all know, is an industry in which you make money by having a small profit margin, and then you multiply that by millions and billions of bushels. That's how we make our money. And all of a sudden, when you, when you have that very thin profit margin, all of a sudden, get cents are getting shaved off it. It just makes it all the more difficult. So it really is having an impact on inbound product, also outbound product. We're talking with Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. All right, Mike, let's look at uh, the problems with flooding and damage to roads and bridges, even impacting uh, the rail system. There still are segments of the rail network that are out of service, and you know, particularly along the Missouri or the Mississippi rivers. And you know, and, and really, one of the challenges is is if you are if you're a rail company, if you had part of your track washed out. You obviously want to attend to that and re- repair it as soon as possible, but then all of a sudden you've got these major, you know, storm events that will all of a sudden happen, and then you're thinking, well, if I repair this today, I might have to do the same thing tomorrow, and that's really kind of the challenge that we're we're facing. You know, I we in agriculture, this is not our first rodeo when it comes to flooding, but I, what I would say is so unique about this year is how widespread it is. So you've got flooding conditions in the Mississippi River area, to an extent in the Ohio River, the Illinois River, the Arkansas River is really struggling, uh, the lower Mississippi River. Uh, so you've got its widespread, and then number two, how elongated it's been. You know, we've really been dealing with this since March, and we a lot of times you have a flooding event and then it relaxes, and then you may have another one, but this has been a really consistent experience for us. And so you know, a lot of people are, are really fatigued in agriculture and, and a host of other industries that are having to deal with this situation. How much grain movement is going on right now? It, it's, it's happening, but it's, it's less than what it you know, normally is. You know, I, this, is, this is barge transportation, just to give you kind of a, a, a frame of reference, but we, we've moved 65% of the of the grain and soybeans via barge that we've this year compared to what we did last year so 65 percent now when you look at the upper mississippi river it's it's a real wide differential so uh, you know kind of the, the point is there is movement occurring um but it's just pales in comparison to what it normally what normally happens and you know, for farmers who are struggling with planting a crop, and there's a struggle with marketing the crop. You know, China's the big, uh, the challenge right now, for particularly for soybeans. So if you have a problem on the supply side and a problem on the demand side, it's really kind of adds insult to injury when you have a, when you have a challenge in the transportation side that, 
that which connects supply with demand. Well, that brings us to infrastructure improvement. Not hearing much about that right now. I was just wondering if all these problems might spur some action. Are you hearing anything? You know, one of the things I like to to argue is that you don't wish for a catastrophe, but don't waste a catastrophe. And so when you've got this challenge facing agriculture, it does provide an opportunity because there's all of a sudden a tension on it, on our industry. It, it gives us an opportunity to really express here are the things that can be done, uh, infrastructure and otherwise, that can really benefit farmers and the broader agricultural industry. I was in Washington, D.C. last week making that case to a number of number of individuals uh, at both the Capitol Hill and also at the White House. And so that is one of the, the benefits, is that there is increased focus and attention on agriculture and the soybean industry in particular. Now, the prospects of having a very comprehensive $2 trillion infrastructure package I don't think that's likely. I don't know of anyone who really does. But I do think there's some opportunities to actually get some things done. Uh, Reauthorizing a highway bill next year, which um, something that really is an area of attention. But but there's a project that I think that we could do in the very near future that would benefit soybean farmers, corn farmers, and a host of other industries, and that would be deepening the lower Mississippi River near New Orleans from 45 feet to 50 feet. That's one infrastructure project that would really improve our competitiveness because you're able to load more soybeans per ship. You're able to attract larger ships, and it just makes it dry. It removes cents on the per bushel delivered price to our customers. So there is some opportunity to actually move the ball and get something done. It's just going to require a lot of effort to make sure that that occurs. Yeah, I was thinking so. Many times, whether it's immigration, whatever it is, uh, we fail to get anything done because we can't get everything done. And I'm concerned about that happening here. You think there is a chance or a single project like that that maybe they would zero in and and get that done? Uh, You know, the the challenge is politics, obviously, because no one wants to give the other side a win uh, that resembles it. But, you know, the the point that I try to make is if you want to be able to demonstrate to the American people that you can do something – on on a on a bigger scale show that you can do something on a smaller scale if you want to show that you can do something comprehensive show that you can do something individual and so like this project related to the lower mississippi river here's an individual project that could be done in the relative you can at least get it started in the relatively near future and in doing so you can demonstrate to the american people whether republican or democrat here's an example of something that i would like to See more of and 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 so that's something I think that we in agriculture really need to impress upon them that hey we really don't care who gets the credit we just care that it gets done and we need to hold our elected officials accountable not for intentions we need to hold them accountable for outcomes that's for sure it seems like we've gone from uh, the days when they would try to get something done to show they're doing something now it's a matter of uh They've abandoned that and just trying to show what they kept from getting done by the other side and, and count that as a victory. And both sides are playing that game, and, uh, and it, it keeps a lot of important things from getting done in the meantime. All right, Mike, uh, good, uh, good overview. Thanks for the assessment. Thank you for being with us. Thank you, Mike. Always a pleasure. Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. All right, coming up next, we're going to check uh, crop conditions Uh, In Illinois, between the Quad Cities and Peoria, David Erickson farms in that area. Certainly, they've had plenty of challenges, but uh, he's done planning. We'll get an update on how things look in that part of the the Midwest. That's coming up next. Stay with us here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, We'll probably stay together. Probably? (laughs) It's been 23 minutes since I ate. 
I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. <clears throat> Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. <sighs> Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Do you know how to keep food safe at home? Clean, separate, cook, and chill. The easy lessons of clean, separate, cook, and chill will help you protect your family and be food safe. Let's talk about how to really cook. First, you can't tell it's done by how it looks. Use a food thermometer. Then, always stir, rotate the dish, and cover food when microwaving to prevent cold spots where bacteria can survive. Fast cooking should still be safe cooking. And bring sauces, soups, and gravies to a rolling boil when reheating. Even for the most experienced cooks, the improper heating and preparation of food means bacteria can survive. Food safety risks at home are more common than most people think. The USDA is your partner in being food safe. Clean, separate, cook, and chill. For more information, visit BeFoodSafe.gov or call 1-888-MP-HOTLINE. Recently on Adams on Agriculture... Prevent plant acres have dominated conversation this year. So many questions around them. Some tough decisions have had to be made, and uh, there's still tough decisions and questions out there. Let's talk about it with University of Illinois ag economist Scott Irwin. Scott, it seems like uh, the further along this year we go, the more questions we have on on some of these planting decisions and what can be done with some of these acres and how to take care of them and what are the options. Well, we really are into uncharted territory, Mike, as far as the magnitude of prevent planting. You know, at this time of year, uh, our crop production specialists are usually talking about, you know, how to manage the growing crop, uh, not what to do with prevent plant acres. As I understand it, you can uh, actually plant corn or soybeans as a cover crop, uh, so long as you don't harvest it for grain. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. You're going to need me. You're going to need us. All of us. You're going to need our technical skills. Our math. Our engineering skills. You're going to need our help with your water, your air, your food. You're going to need our organizational skills, our problem-solving skills. You're going to need our determination, our honesty, our compassion. You're going to need the next generation of leaders to face the challenges the future will bring. And we promise we'll be there when you need us. Today, 4-H is growing the next generation of leaders. Support us at 4-H.org. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. 
Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Adams. Well, we continue to check crop progress, crop conditions. Let's go to the area between the Quad Cities and Peoria, Illinois. That's where David Erickson farms. He joins us now. David, how do things look in your area? Well, I say uh, they look pretty good uh, late, but uh, we're in a fortunate area. I think we got uh, more done than some, so we're we're feeling pretty good about that. When did you get done planting? Uh, finished soybeans planting uh, June tenth, um, and uh, actually under some pretty good conditions. You know, usually <laughs> the way it goes, the last couple of days your plants actually the, the the best going planting of it, of it all. Um, and we did we did have some. Uh, later planted corn here in June. Uh, we we planted uh, finished my last field of corn June third. Although we had the bulk of our corn done in April and May, and then did some replanting about 20% of what I planted in, in a, about a day and a half time period in mid May. Uh, we ended up having to replant about 20% of that. So um, so it looks pretty good uh, given uh, the circumstances that's come through. Okay. Well. So this year we're asking, you know, it Fourth of Ju- you know, Fourth of July is next week. That just doesn't seem possible right. with everything the way it has been this year. But in some cases, the old saying of "knee high by the Fourth of July" will actually apply. But you'll be a little better than that, won't you? We are about. Uh, if uh, your listeners remember back there earlier in the spring, I said we had about two thirds of our corn planted there in that week following um, Easter. So. That corn is approaching um, or at about hip high, I suppose, and um, looks pretty good. There's a few holes in it. It's uh, not perfect by any means, but we're certainly fortunate uh, to have gotten it in then, and uh, it came through that wet period in May there pretty well. So we are going to have corn that's beyond knee high by the 4th of July. We'll also have some that, oh, boy, I don't know if you, uh, maybe if you squat down a bit and stretch the leaf as far as possible, it mm-hmm. It, it might make it halfway there. So. Yeah, I mean, it's just across the board. Now, were there many acres in your area that just didn't get planted at all? I don't think so, Mike. I think for the most part, um, those acres that weren't planted were probably ones that were affected uh, in creek and river bottoms. I don't know the extent to which that is. I think it's... Uh, uh, it's difficult to gauge that. Um, quite frankly, if you drove around, you know, looking at, at fields last, uh, say, 10 days ago, it was difficult to tell what was planted and what was not. Um, but I I think for the most part, things got planted except for those uh, more extreme cases, uh, creek and river bottom ground um, or ground maybe that, uh, you know, for whatever reason uh, failed beyond a, an attempt there. Were you able to stay with your plan, or did you have to switch some acres, say, from corn to soybeans? No, we were able to stay with our uh, normal corn-soybean rotation on fields. We were a little bit, uh, a little bit heavier on um, soybeans this year, but um, just by field rotation. Um, so we actually came out, you know, pretty well on it there, actually. But um, I, I think. For the most part, people in this general area um, would pretty much stay with their original planting intentions. Well, planting has been a challenge. So has spraying. How have you been able to keep up with that, and uh, what do those fields look like out there? Well, um, there's a high percentage of no-till uh, farming done in our area here, Mike. I think, you know, with the... Uh, early uh, adapters on it uh, back in the 80s and early 90s so um, if you were able to get some burn down on for bean ground um, there in some windows that uh, I mean small windows and in May uh, they look pretty good if they were earlier planted soybeans and there are a fair number of acres in our area that uh, uh, of soybeans that were planted that uh, week following Easter there in April and those soybeans uh, have actually started to be post-grade because you know, some of that burn down or, or pre-plant is starting to fade away on it. Um, and actually, we're pretty fortunate that very sure there's some exceptions, but I think uh, people have done a good job of being able to keep up with it so far. 
So now the race for you is on to see if you get the, the kind of uh, growing conditions to help this crop kind of catch up. Yeah, you know, I think that um, that people still remain optimistic, obviously, by, you know, a lot of corn planted that uh, week of June 3rd in this area, um, even, and um, I think people are still optimistic that we'll, we'll have a nice summer um, and uh, a warm and hopefully relatively dry fall, so um, we're okay. We'll, we'll be all right to remain positive on, on where we're at and, and uh, hope that uh, the weather works in our favor. Now you've got some folks north of you, northern Illinois, that have not fared as well as you have. They've had even more rain. That's right. And, and Mike, there's, you know, there's no uh, uh, fully understanding that unless you're, you know, you're there and you're experiencing that. But, I mean, a tremendous percentage of corn acres not planted in, you know, Bureau, uh, which is uh, Princeton, DeKalb County, you know, is well known for uh, corn production. A tremendous amount of corn acres not planted in those counties. Parts of LaSalle County. Um, I mean, there's, uh, I don't know when we'll know the true extent, and I think USDA has indicated that as well. It's going to be difficult to know exactly where we're at on planted acres um, until uh, we go down the road here a little bit further. Well, David, thanks for the update. Glad to hear you got your crops planted and uh, hopefully better weather ahead. Thank you very much. Thanks, Mike. Always good to talk to you. Take care. Illinois farmer David Erickson. He farms between the Quad Cities and and Peoria. All right, that's going to wrap it up for today. Coming up tomorrow, we're going to talk with the Executive Director of the the, the Renewable Fuels Association. We'll talk about his reaction to the President calling for a review of the administration's policy on granting these waivers to the uh, RFS. We'll also get his thoughts on looking at a smaller corn crop, the impact of that on the ethanol industry, and also uh, the trade talks, uh, very important for ethanol exports. We'll have a lot to talk about with them. We'll have more on crop conditions and crop progress. Lots more information for you tomorrow. I hope you'll join us right here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Soybean growers are going all in on Ingenia herbicide. Now BASF is going all in on Ingenia growers. We're so confident in the performance of this solution, we're now backing it with the Ingenia herbicide weed control guarantee so you can have true peace of mind. And you can tap into our expanded Grow Smart Rewards program and get cash back. Go all in today at IngeniaHerbicide.com. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions.